Welcome to the Trans Guild Promenade Podcast, where various aspects of our favorite game come together, including the latest Magic the Gathering news, the lore behind the cards, and strategy, including deck lists, gameplay tips, metagame analysis, etc. First up, let's discuss some of the latest events in the Magic the Gathering community. We actually have some quite interesting news this week, and that is that there's a new official format that has just been released by Wizards of the Coast. It'll be known as Brawl, and is essentially Standard Commander. The rules are as follows. First, each deck will have a commander that is any standard legal, legendary creature, or planeswalker. So, all planeswalkers are legendary, by the way, for anyone who missed that rules change back in Ixalan. Um, second, decks will be 60 cards, standard legal decks, with no more than one copy of each card. And the commander counts towards your total count of 60. Commander tax works the same as it does in Commander. Costs two more each time for each time you've cast it previously. And each player starts at 30 life, and there's no Commander damage. All of the cards in your deck also have to follow the color identity of your Commander, just like in regular Commander. This latest, rather novel format is casual, and as of now has no sanctioned events planned for it that we know of. Although, I could definitely see something like a Summer League or something popping up for it in the near future. Now, sadly, on the more negative side, we have another piece of related news, and that is the Dominaria Biobox promo. Just before releasing Brawl, Wizards of the Coast announced that the Dominaria Biobox promo is going to be a card called Firesong and Sunspeaker. Firesong and Sunspeaker is a legendary creature for 4 red and white, for a total of 6, converted mana cost, and is a 4-6 Minotaur Cleric. It has red instant and sorcery spells you control of lifelink, and whenever an instant Sorry, a white instant or sorcery spell causes you to gain life. Firesong and Sunspeaker deals 3 damage to target creature or player. But that doesn't sound bad at all. It's a neat promo. It'd be great to try out as a brawl commander in the new format. But that actually makes it more of a problem, as this card is only available as a promo. Not this version of the card, but this card. That's right, the only way to get this card without buying or trading for it directly is to fork over... 80 or so dollars for an entire booster box of Dominaria. This will make the supply of this card limited and likely drive its price up way higher than it needs to be. And worse, this could be a permanent change and Wizards of the Coast could be continue doing exclusive promos in future sets. Hopefully this isn't the case because having cards that are that difficult to for many people to acquire is really not healthy for any trading card game and its longevity. Anyway, so we'll have more stuff on Brawl later in this episode, so stay tuned for that, an interesting look at this new format's metagame. And next up, a quick card price update. First up, we have a standard card to take a look at this week, Dire Fleet Daredevil. Dire Fleet Daredevil costs 1 red and is a 2-1 human pirate with first strike. It has, when Dire Fleet Daredevil enters the battlefield, exile target instant or sorcery card from opponent's graveyard. You may cast that card this turn, and you may spend mana as though it were any mana of any type to cast that spell, and if the card be put into a graveyard this turn, exile it instead. The Daredevil has gone up 75 cents this week, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that is actually a sizable uptick for a standard card, something to take notice of at least. This is mostly just due to the fact that it's putting up great results in a large variety of different standard decks, and is now occasionally seeing play in Modern in some human builds. Speaking of Modern, Noble Hierarch has risen $8 this week due to its play in Modern, and the fact that it wasn't reprinted in Masters 25. The card was already solid staple in Modern, and the Humans deck has only brought it up more. 
That's basically the reason for this rise in price. Some cards dropping in price this week include Liliana the Veil and Dark Confidant, two cards we saw going up last week. They're just dropping as a bit of a snapback now that the hype around the possible resurgence of John is dying down a bit, it would seem. And that's about it for your market price update for the week. Uh, please check out mggoldfish.com if you'd like some more information on changes in part card prices. And next up, this week's lore lesson. <laughs> One upcoming product that I believe deserves a little bit more hype, it's going to be the last dual deck, after all, is Elves vs. Inventors. Uh, this latest dual deck will include a monogreen elf tribal deck to represent, of course, elves, and an it artifacts deck to represent inventors. What I specifically wanted to take a look at today was the lore behind the characters represented as legendary creatures in this set. This set of dual decks actually ties in quite nicely to the origins of Chandranalar and Nisiravane, so we'll go over this as well. First, we have a character that I have thoroughly enjoyed playing with, and that's Azuri. In the Elves deck, he's represented by the card Azuri, Renegade Leader, but I know him best by his other card, Azuri, Claw of Progress. Azuri was once a lowly bandit on the plain of Mirrodin. Mirrodin is an artificial plane created by Karn himself, and all of its residents have evolved to have mechanical or metal parts embedded into them to align themselves with their harsh environment. Azuri was no exception. Azuri was one of the first to discover the Phyrexians as they began their invasion of Mirrodin, and alerted his fellow Mirans. Eventually, he created an army known as the Mirren Resistance. This allowed him to fill a leadership position, something he'd always dreamed of, but could never obtain due to his previous lowly status. He reveled in this. He was a hero. But this would not last. Azuri's outpost was discovered by three planeswalkers, Elspeth, Venser, and Koth, who were searching for Mirrodin's core. They were here to end the Phyrexian invasion of Mirrodin once and for all, to save its inhabitants from the Phyrexian Blight, and to do that, they needed to reach the core. They explained this to Azuri, thinking that he would be sympathetic to their cause. And he should have been, but his lust for power had overtaken him and caused him to try and stop them in their tracks. He didn't allow them to go any further towards the core. If they ended the Phyrexian invasion, the power that Azuri had always desired and finally gained would be demolished. No one would need a war leader anymore. However, Elspeth's threats and Venser's display of magical prowess ended in him backing down. He wasn't finished with them yet, however, as they were traveling with a human they had rescued along their journey named Melira. Melira was a miraculous being who had an inexplicable immunity to the Phyrexian corruption and could spread this immunity on, among others as well. She would be a valuable tool against the Phyrexians, and Azuri wanted her to join his cause. In a council meeting at the Mirren outpost, Azuri invited Melira to stay in the camp, but he did not extend such hospitality to the three planeswalkers who had saved her. She decided to leave with the three, and continued towards the core. Just as the planeswalkers and Melira had left for their mission, the outpost was attacked by the Phyrexians. The Mirren resistance was overtaken, and Azuri was captured. He was then experimented on and completed by Gingitaxis's Blue Aligned Faction of Phyrexians. This is how he would become the Claw of Progress, a Phyrexian leader who would serve the Praetors. He would go on to wage war against those he had once fought alongside, spreading the glorious Phyrexian completion further across the plain. In the end, he got what he really wanted, a leadership role. Be careful what you wish for is really the moral of the story here. The second legend in the dual decks is Dwynen, 
Giltleaf Dayan, another elvish leader, this time from Lorwyn. She actually plays a sizable role in Nyssa Ravain's origin story. After Nyssa's planeswalker spark ignited for the first time, she found herself planeswalked to Lorwyn. There, she encountered members of a tribe of elves known as the Giltleaf. What she encountered was a hunting pack, led by Dwynon. The guilt leaf prized beauty, and Dwynan saw said beauty in Nyssa, and encouraged her to join the hunt. Caught up in the excitement of being on a new plane, Nyssa was swept along into the hunt until she realized what the pack was hunting, and why. These elves were murdering innocent boggarts, known to them as eye blights, because they saw them as ugly and distasteful, a blight. This didn't sit well with Nyssa, and she turned to protect the Boggarts. This angered the other elves, but before this anger could be acted upon, the land around them was consumed by darkness. It was the phenomenon known as the Great Aurora, the magical shift that transforms Lorwyn into Shadowmoor and vice versa every 300 years. At this moment, Nyssa decided to planeswalk away from the plane, leaving it behind, but holding on to the lesson she had learned there. Another legendary, corresponding to an important origin story we're here to talk about today, is Pia and Kieran Nalar. They are, in fact, the parents of the infamous Chandra Nalar. Pia and Kieran lived with their daughter in the main city of Gurupur on Kaladesh for most of Chandra's childhood. The two were smugglers who trafficked in Aether, a magical energy that powers many of the machines and devices on Kaladesh. However, when Chandra got into a scuffle with the authorities and accidentally burned down a local foundry, the family was forced to flee Gurupur. While the authorities searched for them, they fled to a countryside village. Eventually, said authorities found the village and raided it. This is where Kiran met his end, and Chandra was captured. These attackers burned the village to the ground and blamed it on Chandra, taking her to Gurupur for execution although later she would escape this fate when her planeswalker spark ignited. Pia would continue on to form a band of renegades, who would later rebel against Tezzeret and the consulate on Kaladesh. After being arrested by the consulate, she was forced to face off against Tezzeret in a quicksmithing arena, a sort of gladiator's ring for artificers. Tezzeret almost killed her, but Chandra and the Gatewatch arrived just in time to stop him. The fourth and final legendary creature included in the dual decks is actually rather mysterious. It's Yeva, Nature's Herald. Here are the things we do know about her. 1. She is located on Ravnica. 2. She is a fierce protector of nature. And 3. She is only aligned to a single color, green, something sort of rare on Ravnica, a plane of two-color guilds. It is theorized that she may be a member of the Selesnian Conclave, based on her eagerness to defend nature and the design of her clothing. However, we have not yet been given many clues about her in the magic storyline. Hopefully, we'll get something along with the dual deck that gives us more details. And on that note, let's transition in into a look at the aforementioned metagame of this new burgeoning format, Brawl. Alright, so back to Brawl. I want to take a long, hard look at the metagame. So, since the format is so new, it's really hard to predict the meta right now. Um, I'm figuring out what power level it really is and what decks would be good is not really easy at the moment to do. Uh, after a lot of testing, a lot of consideration, I think I get a feel for the format now, so I'd like to take a look here at some decks I think are going to be really prominent and overall popular.
As I started testing, there were two decks that I ran into constantly right off the bat that were very powerful. And first was Huatli Tokens. So Huatli Radiant Champion is a Planeswalker that costs two, a white and a green, and it has plus one, put a loyalty counter on Huatli Radiant Champion for each creature you control. And minus one, target creature gets plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of creatures you control. And finally, minus eight, you get an emblem with, whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. Quatly is really, really good. If you build this deck right, you can get out enough creatures before you cast her, to the point that she is basically just her emblem on a stick, with basically a one turn delay. To do this, just make sure that you get out at least four creatures before you play her, then, when you do plus one her, you can ultimate the next turn. Once you get her ultimate off, the engine, when you get really get going, is really powerful, and you draw so many cards that mill deck actually kind of screws you over, although I don't think you'll see many of those. Plus, there's actually an abundance of token generators in standard right now. Some all-stars in the stack are Tendershoot Dryad, Legion's Landing, Pride Sovereign, among many others. Uh, there are a lot, and even more coming with Dominaria, and there's going to be far more than enough to fill a 60-card deck. With other decks, that might be a concern, but not with this one. The game usually ends with you, if you win, by you winning by swarming your opponent, or using Watley's Mice, one on a flyer or other evasive creature, and then swinging in a few times. It can also go off by generating a huge amount of mana with Growing Rights of Itlamok, or sometimes Harvest Season, which is effectively um, one rampant growth for each tap creature you control on a three-mana sorcery. Annoy Procession also really shines here. The other deck I saw dominating was Grixis Control, helmed by Nicol Bolas, God Pharaoh. So Nicol Bolas has four different abilities, and they are as follows. Plus two. Target opponent exiles cards from the top of his or her library until he or she exiles a non-land card. Until end of turn, you may cast that card without paying its mana cost. Plus one, each opponent exiles two cards from his or her hand. Minus four, Nicol Bolas God Pharaoh deals seven damage to target opponent or creature and opponent controls. And finally, his minus twelve is exile each non-land po- permanent your opponent opponent's control. Nicol Bolas is a great finisher and or win con for a control deck, so the deck can mostly just focus on removing your threats without really putting in you know, a ton of large flyers or something like that to end the game. The cards that really stand out here, besides you know your standard suite of standard control cards, like a lot of the great counter spells and other removal that we have right now, um, are Baral, Chief of Compliance, Chandra, Torch of Defiance, and Gaunti, Lord of Luxury. You also want to run... You know, plenty of cards like Bantu's Last Reckoning and River's Rebuke uh, for board wipe effects, since this format relies on them, you know, a lot more in standard. It's, it's a commander format, uh, and commander's all about board wipes. Also, on a side note, with these most prominent commander decks I've been talking about, uh, I was jumping into testing this format, thinking that a lot of people that I was testing against were going to be running Scarab God decks. However, I actually didn't see that many of them at all. I'm not sure if this is just because everyone saw it as the generic option since the Scarab God is such a terror in standard being like the most played card right now or whatever, or because it wasn't seen as as good as the other options. I would be really rather shocked if it was the latter to what I looked at. It seemed like it would be extremely powerful. 
All right, next I would like to move on to the list of some of the other options for good Brawl Commanders, but first I want to say a thing or two about the format. Uh, it has a unique pace in that it feels like Commander, but doesn't have the issues of games going on for a really unpredictable amount of time, like when in Commander some games will be extremely quick and some will go on for hours. So it's a format where the pacing is closer to that of a competitive format like Modern or Standard, probably more like Standard, but it feels more like Commander. It's also a format where it's all about setting up for this late, mid or late game, like Commander, and uh, it's different, though, in the fact that aggro decks can be occasionally viable, because if they're really fast enough, they can just through, you know, push through enough damage to end the game before they're run over. One other thing that feels different with the format is that the card pool is super limited because you only have standard cards to work with and you can only have one copy of each card. This means that most monocolored decks actually won't really be able to find enough cards that really fit to their strategy you know, to make the deck really work. For example, if you wanted to make a really heavy counter magic brawl deck like has shown some success in casual commander, um... To do that, you're going to need a lot of counterspells, but there just aren't enough good counterspells to fill um, a six-card deck with the standard pool. So you'll find yourself, if you do build that deck, actually playing a lot of, like, tons of bounce spells and other strange things to make it work. So whenever you see a monocolored commander that you think would be excellent for Brawl, take that with a grain of salt and make sure it's not better than your other two-color options. That being said, let's take a look at what legendaries work well with these, this uniquely paced format. Azor, the Lawbringer, is a nice value engine that many will find themselves playing as the finisher for their blue-white control deck. There are so many white board wipes in the format that really make this a really viable archetype. Alenda, the Dusk Rose, on the other hand, is good to helm a less regular archetype, and that is Aristocrats. Although though the deck looks a bit narrow, Alenda is a fine piece for any aristocratic style deck but don't expect to do something crazy with it like repeatedly reanimating her or something like that for a token engine the trick here is to keep it simple so the deck isn't exactly built around alenda but just plays really well with her gishith sun's avatar actually ends up a lot more viable in this format than it did in commander since the power level of the format is lowered all those dinosaurs that weren't quite worth it in Commander are now viable in Brawl, and this combined with the fact that decks are only 60 cards make it so, makes it so that you actually hit consistently with Gish's ability. For all those who tried to make this deck in Commander and were disappointed, come try it out in Brawl. Just make sure to prioritize ramp. Zakama, Primal Calamity, is another great Naya Commander worth ramping up to. The Dino is great at keeping the board clean of your opponent's creatures, and is a great win con all in itself. Patra is a great Golgari option that is better than it looks. Since it drops so early, you can often do some real work with those minus one minus one counters by killing tokens and creatures that have powerful abilities but not equally powerful stats. Those snake tokens that it creates also add up, and this deck is way more annoying to deal with than you would think, considering those tokens have death touch. Another good Golgari commander is Vraska, Relic Seeker, merely because she is such a great curve topper and card in general. She doesn't have a specific strategy really built in also, so you could pick whatever you want uh, for her, or you could just play black-green good stuff. 
Cabal Consul of Allocation has a really taxing effect, making him a great card to lead either a control or vampire's deck. You will gain a lot of life off this ability, and your opponents will become more and more discouraged from playing large non-creature spells as the game goes on. For those who want something with a little more artifacts, Tezzeret the Schemer is perfect. And because of Kaladesh block, Standard is filled with great artifacts right now. Tez is a great way to put those to use. He's a generator of artifact tokens, has built-in removal if you have enough artifacts, and his ultimate is not so far out of reach and is a great win con. Another great option for powerful commander is the Locust God, who will acquire some ramp and stall to get into the late game, but once you get him out of the command zone, it is hard to get rid of him permanently, and he can take over the board with tons of powerfully keyworded tokens. Chandra, Tortured Defiance, and Hazard the Firmament will both make excellent toppers for mono-red aggro decks. However, you need to make sure to include the fastest and most efficient aggro creatures to make up for the fact that your opponent starts at 30 life, and it will also be good to run a few cards that have repeatable damaging effects to finish your opponents off late game. Thankfully, both these have some way of doing that themselves. Hazard has 2 and a red, discard a card, deal 2 damage each opponent, and Chandra has a damage dealing plus 1 and a devastatingly powerful ultimate. Alright, so that's that, but there were a lot of other commanders that could have made it onto the list, and perhaps should have, but we'll know more about those as testing continues. Here are some of those commanders that are on the edge of being successful, or seem harder to put into an effective build. Uh, a side note, this list also includes most monocolored commanders, although I'm not going to go over them, just know that because of the limited card pool, you have to be careful with choosing those. First off, Kumena Tyrant or Razka might not quite have enough Merfolk to really make his value engine work. This one I'd wait on a bit, especially because the card is not cheap at the moment. But who knows, maybe it'll turn out to be a really powerful deck once people figure out the best way to build him. Tapala is also good, but its vehicle plan tends to fall up part in the late game, and although quite fast at first, it becomes super fragile once the opponent gets a chance to respond. Nissa, Steward of Elements, makes a great ramp deck that powers out big threats, but the amount of removal needed to make a slower deck survive long enough to really function is not heavily available in the colors blue and green in the standard format. Temet, Vizier of Noctamun, may or may not work well with its usually embalm-based game plan We'll have to wait and see on this one as well. And that's all for that, but wait, there's also more. When Brawl officially comes out, the new set Dominaria will have just been released as well. With a set so focused on legendary creatures, we've got to take a look at what these might do once they are available to play in this new commander-like format. Ariel, Knight of Windgrace, looks like a good token engine that may be even better than it looks, depending on whether knights we get in Dominaria. We'll have to wait and see on that one. Next is Muldratha, the Gravetide, which provides a lot of reanimating and recycling value. It also looks quite powerful and grants you access to three whole colors, blue, black, and green. And hey, those are said to be some of the best colors in Commander. Next, Grand Warlord Rada provides a way to ramp to Oblivion in a Gruel Color Tokens deck. Seems pretty nice. Slimefoot the Stowaway, on the other hand, looks like an excellent token engine, and it synergizes insanely well with Tendershoot Dryad. 
And then finally, we have Teferi, hero of Dominaria, who seems like a really powerful control planeswalker. Helps you hold up man for counterspells, draws you cards, removes creatures for a lengthy period of time, and has a game-winning ultimate. What more could you want? So what do you guys think of this new format? Is it something you're going to try out? What commanders would you like to play in it? If you are listening in on YouTube, let me know in the comments below. Who knows? I might even talk about some of them on the next episode of the podcast. But until then, this has been Episode 2 of the Transguild Promenade Podcast with Jack Davies. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week.